0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all this morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben, and I am the senior pastor here. What a great way to start, man, just focusing on Christ. And that's really what what the message is all about this morning. And so open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 as we continue our series in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Now, if I were to say the word... Netflix, I would assume that each and every person here knows of it, and I'm guessing the majority of us have a subscription to it or have had a subscription to it. And of course, it's one of the top content platforms in the world. One website I saw this week said that Netflix has a net worth of $40 billion in 2021. $40 billion. <laughs> Now, but it wasn't always that successful. How many of you remember when Netflix was a DVD service where you'd you'd sign up for one and they'd mail you a DVD? Remember that? Well, they were in trouble early on. And it started in 1997. And in the year 2000, the founders, they approached Blockbuster. You ever heard of Blockbuster video? And they were looking to sell Netflix to them for $50 million. Now, at this point... Blockbuster was worth about 6 billion dollars and they were one of the top if not the top DVD rental companies in the world. And they were on their way up while Netflix was just struggling to to survive. In fact, in the year 2000, their losses ended up being about 57 million dollars. So they were in trouble coming to Blockbuster saying, "Well, you bail us out." Well, Blockbuster Didn't want to buy, and so they turned them down. And obviously fast forward today, and there remains one Blockbuster store in the entire world. And that's in Bend, Oregon. And of course we know what happened to Netflix, as I mentioned earlier, worth $40 billion. Blockbuster missed an opportunity. They missed their chances to where we could be subscribing to Blockbuster today. It's not the first business opportunity that was missed by others. It's not the first big thing that the world has missed. In fact, when we look at the book of Acts, the people during that time, the Jews, missed the fact that they had the greatest person who would ever live before them. And they crucified him. And what we're going to find out today, though, is the one that they crucified is Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Savior. So if you're a title person, there's your title. We're looking at Acts 2, verses 22 through 36. So follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing text. As Peter is calling out the Jews for what they did to Jesus by crucifying him on the cross. And the truth and the reality is, Lord, is that each and every person here took part in that crucifixion. It was our sin that placed Jesus on the cross. But it was in God's perfect plan for that to take place so that we would be made right with you. And so, Lord, my prayer for us this morning is first and foremost for believers that we would be humbled this morning. That we would be reminded of our sin that placed Jesus on the cross. But Lord, even in that humility, I pray that it would lead to joy. Knowing that Jesus went to the cross for a purpose. To win our forgiveness. Oh Lord, may it create in us a joy that would lead us to take the gospel to the end of the earth no matter the cost. And Lord, my prayer... For those who do not know you as Savior, that you would open their eyes. Lord, that they would see that Christ indeed is the Lord and Savior. And the only response is to humble ourselves and to repent and place our trust and faith in you. And I pray, I pray that there would be those, if if they don't know you, that they would walk out of darkness into light this morning. So God, would you give me clarity as I declare your word, that I would do it faithfully. Lord, that you would give all of us ears to hear, hearts to perceive what it is that we need to take home and what we need to change, what we need to believe. Lord, would you do what only you can do this morning, Father. I plant and I water, but only you bring the growth. So Lord, would you bring that to us this morning through your word. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as we mentioned last week, uh, Peter is in the middle of a sermon And we need to understand that this is not the sermon in its entirety. Uh, It's not written in complete everything that he said. Uh, Rather, we're getting the highlights of the most important things that Peter said in this sermon. Uh, Last week we looked at the beginning of the sermon where Peter was showing the people that, you know, remember they were accusing uh, the disciples who were speaking in tongues of being drunk. And Peter was saying, that's impossible. It was in the morning. And then he pointed them back to the book of Joel, a prophet whom they would have known of, who spoke of these things taking place. Like, this is the work of God. They're not drunk. In fact, they are being led by the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that was promised. If you would have known the Bible and what God gave us in his word, you would know that this was coming. And then we saw as well, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that there is no age discrimination. There's no gender discrimination. There's no social class discrimination. In fact, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who genuinely repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ shall receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter needed to explain who the Lord is because they would have taken that as if He's speaking of the God of Israel who would save them from the the Romans, from the kingdoms of this world. And they didn't realize the greatest enemy was their own heart. And So they needed to understand who the Lord is that saves. And Peter is going to point out that it is Jesus who was their Savior whom they crucified. And so Peter is going to lay out for us the proof that that is so. And so let's dive into the passage. The first thing that we need to see is this. The death of Jesus was God's plan. The death of Jesus was God's plan. Look again at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know so we see this kind of interesting language jesus of nazareth now we don't talk like that right i didn't say hey good morning my name is ben of bristol <laughs> it's good to have you here this morning and so why did they say that well the reason they said that is because that jesus would have been a, a popular name It would have been, there would have been several others who had that same name. But when you said Jesus of Nazareth, their attention was drawn and they knew exactly who Peter was talking about. And so that's why he says Jesus of Nazareth, this is the one that they had heard of. He was attested by God. In other words, God showed his approval of Jesus through the works that he did. He endorsed Jesus. He Proved that Jesus was God based on the miraculous works that he did. It says he did mighty works, wonders, and signs. These were things that were done in the midst of the people. And there was no escape for them to acknowledge the fact that these things took place. They witnessed it. They heard of these things. They knew about them. They couldn't say they never saw or heard. There was no excuses that could have been made claiming ignorance in the situation it was not an option. Their, re- their reason for rejecting Christ was not based on what they didn't know of Jesus. Rather, their rejection came out of a hatred for Jesus and a love for their sin. And there are many examples of scripture that we see where it's clear that they weren't calling out Jesus for what he did. They were calling out Jesus for who he was. And they didn't like want him to be God because their understanding of who God was was different than who Jesus is. Just consider John 10, 37 through 39. If I am not doing the works of my father, Jesus says, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands. Notice in their response to Jesus, they, they didn't deny or try to fight against anything that he had done. Do you remember as a kid, you would get in kind of these teardown battles where you just kind of rip each other apart and make jokes about each other and you just try to one up? And oftentimes when you when the person like the clear winner, the other person would just say something to the effect of, Well, you're stupid. <laughs> Remember those things? This is, in effect, what they're doing. Well, Jesus, you're stupid. (laughs) Because they had no no category for Jesus. He shattered everything that they thought of who God was. They valued riches in the world. They valued status. And Jesus was not rich. Jesus is not somebody that we would look at and think, wow, this is a mighty king. And so they hated him for who he was. Because he was everything that they could not be in their religion. And so, what did they do? They crucified him. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Make no mistake, it was the people who crucified Jesus. But this was no surprise to God. This was not outside of his plans. This wasn't plan B, like, oh, wait, they're going to throw him on the cross. Now what do we do, Trinity? Let's get together and figure out what's going on. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan. Do you see the strength and the power in what he's saying? This was God's definite plan for Jesus to be crucified. God wasn't just rolling with the punches. He orchestrated it. It said he was delivered up in the foreknowledge of God. This isn't just Jesus seeing in the future what was going to happen. This is foreknowledge that he directed the path. God is sovereign, and God was sovereign over the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. All things are in his hands. He knows what will happen, he knows what could happen, he knows what. He's going to do, and ultimately when it comes to the death of Christ, it was God's plan. Consider some of these scriptures, if you don't believe that's true. Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put... He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Go back to the beginning. It was the will of the Lord to crush his son. Consider Romans 3.25. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself. God put Jesus forward in our place. It was God ordained. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he will not also with him graciously give us all things. The death of Christ was the plan of God. Now there are a lot of, potential questions that could arise in light of this. You know, if I were to express this to some people even in the church, they would say that it's cosmic child abuse. That's the, that's the argument that people will make. How could God kill his own son? That's child abuse. That's not what a God, a loving God would do. But we must understand that Jesus was not forced to the cross. He wasn't running away and Jesus dragged or God dragged Jesus to the cross. Jesus went Willingly consider Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This wasn't child abuse. This was orchestrated by the Trinity of God. And Jesus willfully went about the will of his father Because he saw the joy that was set before him. In light of this thinking, there is another argument that is made. If it was God's plan to crucify Jesus, then those who crucified him shouldn't be held accountable because God made them do it. To that that I'd say there's a big assumption. That is assuming as if the heart of man is good and only does good things you're assuming that they were only up to good and then all of a sudden they're in a trance i must kill jesus like they're going one direction all of a sudden they're they're kind of turned in a different direction god wasn't po- po- forcing them against their will they hated jesus internally this wasn't a new thought to them this was a natural thought of man because of sin. We are all born haters of God. These people who crucified Jesus are not innocent because it's God's plan. They're guilty because that was what was in their heart. And so as we think about this, what does the fact that Jesus' death was God's plan mean for us? Two things. The first is this. It means that we are guilty. It means that we are guilty. Jesus had to be crucified. There was no other way. We were separated from God because of our sin. And only a perfect sacrifice. Not by an animal which had been done for the thousands of years before that. A perfect man must take the place of sinful man in order for us to be made right with him. And because of the fact that Jesus had to... To die for the sins of all man means that we were guilty in the first place to make him have to go to the cross. As you think about these men, certainly not every one of them were beating him beforehand, torturing him. Not everybody there was even present at the crucifixion. And yet, Peter says, you all crucified him. And if he's here today, he would say the same thing to us. We crucified Christ. Well, that should leave us humbled. That we caused a perfect man his life. But we don't stay there, do we? <laughs> the second thing that we can take away from the fact that Jesus' death was God's plan is this. God spared no expense for our forgiveness we were guilty there was nothing we could do in and of ourselves and so God sent Jesus to win our forgiveness he gave up what was most precious so that we might be made right with him this should leave us humbled but it should also take us to a place of joy worthy, we were worthy of death. We were worthy of being tortured for the rest of our lives, and yet we are given life. We exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. That should leave us overjoyed, Christian. Nothing you can do can earn his favor. We can't do enough good works to cover the bad that we have done. We are sinful to the core, and the only thing we can do is lay our life down and take up the life of Christ fact that it was God's plan for Jesus' death should leave us humbled and should leave us overjoyed. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you find yourself refreshed regularly in humility because of what Christ has done? And then are you also, is your life defined by joy because of what Christ has done for you? We must remember the death of Jesus was God's plan. Look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Here's the second thing that we see it was impossible for death to hold Jesus down, it was impossible. There was no chance that death would have held Jesus down. The cross would have would have meant nothing if he would have stayed in the grave, right? It would have just declared him to be the same as everybody else. But it was impossible for him to stay in the grave. Don't you love these two verses, 23 and 24? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not Possible for him to be held by it. What powerful truth there is. Is there no greater truth in the world than that? It was impossible for death to hold Jesus down. Those two verses especially are worthy of spending the time to memorize that so that we can remember those things. It said that through his resurrection it loosened the pangs of death. What that means, the CSB says this, ending the pains of death. Ending the pains of death. It took the sting away. In other words, Jesus defeated the power of death. We no longer as Christians need to fear our own deaths. Don't you see the world like clinging so much to this world? Like, I don't want to die. You see people who are, there's just no, there's no, nothing left in them and they're just clinging so hard to this world. As believers in Christ, we know that this world is not our home. We're passing through and because of Jesus defeating death, we no longer have to fear death. Death is a very final event, is it not? And for so many, it is associated with hopelessness, but for those in Christ. For believers, death means our homecoming. And so we strive. We run the race. We finish the race. And when death comes, we are ushered in to the eternal glory of our Savior. Amen. Death is no longer something that we need to fear. But there were skeptics here. There were skeptics of Jesus' resurrection There were lies going around, and so Peter knew this, and so he was prepared. Look at verse 25. For David says concerning him. Now, just look at that first word there, for. This is repeating back, this is going back, pointing back to what he just said. He's referring back to the previous verses about Jesus' resurrection. He's about to give validity to the resurrection based on somebody that the Jews highly respected. And this passage here that he mentions is from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It's from David. And, of course, they knew that in the line of David there was a king. And so they were long awaiting for this king of David to come. And so when he spoke David, they their ears perked up like... Okay, what's he about to say? This was a big deal for them. David was a hero to the Jews. And so look at what verse 25 says and following. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so here we have David whom God told would have a descendant who would fill the throne forever. A descendant who would never relinquish his kingdom again. And so he gives a prophecy of Christ. Looking forward to the day his descendant will reign as king forever. Well, you might be asking, well, how do you know this is a prophecy? Like, how do you know it's not just David thinking, like, speaking of himself and something that happened with David? Well, to that, Peter says, thanks for asking. <laughs> and again, he's on top of it, and he anticipates the question. And look how he responds in verse 29. Verse 29. God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. What's Peter pointing out here? He's pointing out that, hey, guys, you know this. David's tomb right over there. David died, and he was buried, and his body is still in that tomb. How could he possibly be speaking of himself there? It says that, look look again, it says His soul will not be abandoned to Hades, and he won't let his Holy One see corruption. What the corruption means there is just won't see death and decay of the body. David was in the grave that they knew where it was at. He had died, and his body therefore was corrupted because of his own sin. It was not possible for David to rise again. But for Jesus, it was not possible for him to stay in the grave because he is the holy one who did not see corruption. His body did not rot in the grave. He defeated it and he rose. And so David foresaw this. He knew it. And he's speaking in first person because he was looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ, although he probably didn't know his name necessarily, would come and reign and rule. Perfectly. Without flaw. Without flaw. Unlike all the kings before him. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus down? It means that we can live this life without fear of death. And remember, our theme for the whole book of Acts is to the end of the earth. We are called to take the good news of Jesus to the end of the earth. That means there will be danger. There will come hard times for us. Some of you may be called to the mission field where you could lose your life by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly it was dangerous to live for Jesus back then. But danger need not keep us down. In this week as I was studying, I was reminded of martyrs who have gone on before us. Who valiantly fought for the faith of Christ and were murdered for it. One man that just almost every time I think about it, just takes my breath away. Maybe you've heard of William Tyndale. He lived in the 1500s and is known as the father of the English Bible as he wrote 90% of the King James Version. And although John Wycliffe Wycliffe, Wycliffe wrote the first English translation of the Bible, Tyndale wanted to make it even more accessible. Now you got to know it was a sin in the church at the time, to translate the Bible into the common man's language. And yet they saw the beauty of the word of God, that they wanted every man, every woman to be able to read and understand the good news of Jesus Christ. So Tyndale asked Bishop Tunsdale at the time to authorize him to write a translation of the Bible. But the bishop denied his request. However, it did not stop Tyndale from his desire. Tyndale went to Europe to complete His translation after receiving encouragement and support from British merchants. He had the Bible printed there and smuggled it back to England. Tyndale went to Hamburg, Germany in 1524 where he worked on the New Testament. However, news of Tyndale's activity reached an opponent of the Reformation who had the press raided. But he was able to escape with the pages already printed. And it went to Germany City where the New Testament was soon published. Tyndale continued hiding among the merchants in Antwerp while he started translating the Old Testament. The authorities found him after an Englishman who pretended to be his friend turned him over. He was detained in prison for a year and a half and was brought to trial for heresy. He was later condemned and was sentenced to death. On October 6, 1536, by strangling. And his body was burned at the stake. You think of this book that we have here. It's easy for us to lose that. It's easy for us to lose the fact that there was blood spilt. So we could have the very words of God in our language. And yet we, being persecuted, because they're going after the church for not wearing masks. That's persecution. When I find conviction, is I'm afraid to go to my neighbor and share the good news. My life isn't in danger. Yeah, people fought to get the word of God in our language. It was possible for death to hold Jesus down. And therefore, we can be bold. Oh, that we would be a people that would understand that we are called here for one purpose. To glorify God, to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Jesus has defeated death and so persecution may come to us. I pray that it does because I think it will strengthen the church. It's easy to be a believer right now. It's hard to be a strong one. Believers in Christ, Jesus defeated death. So come what may. Let's be a church that takes the gospel to the end of the age. It was impossible to hold Jesus down. So let me ask you, have you come to that place in your life where Jesus is your everything? The proclamation of the gospel is what you realize is what you are called to to do. Have you brushed off death, rejection of others? The good things that this life has to offer that are just distractions in the big picture of things. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus down. Therefore, we don't need to fear death. So let us be the men and women of God. He's called us to be no matter the cost. Look at verse 33. this Jesus whom you crucified and so having shown that the death of Jesus was God's plan having proven that God raised Jesus from the dead and that David foretold this in the book of Psalms there is only one conclusion we can come to Jesus is lord and savior Working of the Holy Spirit and the disciples speaking in tongues. This is through Christ. And we see another reference from David in Psalms 110. And this idea of making an enemy a footstool is about subjection. Everybody is subjected to Jesus Christ. Everybody. All the enemies. There's no one. There's no rival for Jesus. Don't you love that? Love that song. There's no rival. There's no equal to our Savior. And the proof of everything being subject to Christ was seen in the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Because of all these things, it has become very clear. The people Peter was talking to crucified the Lord and Savior of the world. And the truth is, it was our sin that hung them there. just as guilty as they were, we miss Christ. We don't see him in our day-to-day life sometimes. And our only proper response is to worship him. He is worthy of everything. He's worthy of William Tyndale giving his life, of John Wycliffe giving his life, life, of all the martyrs in the world, of all those that we will read about in the book of Acts who gave their lives, Jesus is. Is worthy. He's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our allegiance. He's worthy of our praise. Yes, our sin placed Jesus on the cross, but God has extended mercy and grace to us. Your self-righteousness, have you turned away from living to build your own kingdom here when God has called us to be about building his kingdom, a hope that we would be overcome this morning by the mercies of God. May we see clearly that Jesus is who he says he was, that he defeated death and therefore I can live my life for him. Whether I'm going alone or I'm going with people surrounding me who love him too. I don't need to fear death. I don't need to worry about what may come about my life if I'm living for him. Oh, that we would surrender it all to him. I'm going to invite the Zach and the worship team to come up now. as we're going to get a chance to respond in song again. And so we learned this new song this morning. The first verse says this, Alone in my sorrows and dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. Amen. Death was arrested. It's got no power over us. Take my life. You can't touch my soul. Oh, that we would be a people that would sell out for Christ. He is Lord and Savior. He is worthy of our praise. May we be a people that lives in light of that glorious hope. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we need you. I confess. I confess that even this week. How often I get sidetracked by the things of this world. My heart gets captivated by other things rather than you and I repent this morning. that we would lay aside the things of this world. That our eyes would be open to see the emptiness that this world has to offer. God, it never fulfills. It always leaves us wanting. It always leaves us unsatisfied, Lord. But when we pursue you, when we're in a right relationship with you, yes, it wants us more, but it always leaves us satisfied. Oh, God, that the things of this world would be have such a distaste in our minds our hearts, that we'd be captivated by the fact that it's your plan to crucify Christ. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished, Lord. And his dying breath has brought us life, and we know that it is finished. And Lord, those whom you have set free is free indeed. Lord, I pray for those who have never surrendered their life to Christ. Would you lead them to repentance? Would you open their eyes to their own sinfulness that they would see that they love things other than you? Lord, that they may walk out of darkness into light this morning. And Lord, for those who have truly repented and placed their faith, but maybe they've lost their way, maybe they've gotten sidetracked by their jobs and building up stuff and all the things that can distract us from pursuing you and sharing the Remind us of our sinfulness, but only to the point where it leads us to rejoice, because you have forgiven us. And God, may that then motivate us to take the gospel to the end of the earth, no matter the cost. Because Jesus has defeated death. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have. Lord, I pray that you be glorified in our church. I pray that we would go out this week, we would proclaim the good news of Jesus Not just with our words, but also the way we live our lives. Jesus alone is Lord, and Jesus alone is Savior. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing that new song we learned this morning again. And be reminded of the the grace of God in us. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin.